Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, or hidden among the ages gone by. The light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers. I want to thank you for joining us once again. Today's episode number eight, and we're going to be discussing digitizing and preserving your lodge records and the overall importance of doing so. We have a great guest coming on today that's going to help us take a deeper look into how to do just that. Now, today's episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Masonic Revival. If you haven't checked them out before, please do so today. You can find them at their website, MasonicRevival.com. If you go there, you're going to find some great quality lapel pins, neckties, bow ties, and so much more. If you use our promo code HLIGHT, that's all one word, HLIGHT, you can get your entire order with free shipping. So definitely take advantage of that. It's a great offer, and uh, you can show up to your next lodge meeting or event in style. So definitely do that today. Find them at their website, MasonicRevival.com. Now today's episode is also brought to you in part by the contributions of viewers like you. We definitely appreciate everyone that does offer to the show. And if you'd like to do so, you can do so in many ways. You can either buy one of our products, which we have our lapel pins out. You can find on our website. Uh, that's historicalite.com up in the shop section. We also just launched new t-shirts with the official historicalite logo on them. So if you want either one of those, you can go to our website, historicalite.com up in the shop section. Get one of those and the uh, contributions there do help fund the show. Uh, if you are not into the product, but you'd still like what you see here and want to help us continue farther, you can go on to the Support Us tab, and you're able to safely and securely give in a one-time or reoccurring fashion safely through PayPal. And we definitely appreciate everything that you are willing to offer, and everyone that has offered, we do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now, with that said, let's jump into our show like we always do with a word from our friends over at MasonryToday.com and see what happened in Masonic history today. Today in Masonic history, George Douglas, the 16th Earl of Mortons, born in 1761. George Douglas was a Scottish peer. He was born April 3, 1761 in Scotland and became the Earl of Morton at the young age of 13 when his father passed away. He was sent to Eton College to be educated and after graduating he followed the fashion of the time by doing a grand tour of Europe. He visited most of the European courts during this time. From 1784 to 1790, Douglas served as a representative peer. As a representative peer, he was elected to a peerage of Scotland to a seat of the House of Lords. 1785, Douglas was elected as a fellow of the Royal Society, and individuals generally elected as a fellow in recognition to their efforts in advancing or contributing to the advancement of science, mathematics, or engineering. 
It's not exactly clear what Douglas did to earn this position, but he was held in high esteem in the society, acting occasionally as the vice president of the Royal Society of London from 1795 to 1819. In 1791, Douglas was made the Baron Douglas of Loch Leven. This allowed him to take his own seat in the House of Lords rather than being a representative peer. From 1792 to 1818, he served as Queen's Chamberlain, a position which ran the Queen's household, generally having to deal with the financial matters. Starting in 1808, Douglas started serving as Lord Lieutenant of Fife. He was the personal representative of George III in the County of Fife and was responsible for organizing the militia in that county. It's likely that around this time he became part of the Royal Company of Archers, a ceremonial unit that serves as the sovereign's bodyguard. Douglas passed away on July 17th of 1827. He served as Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of Scotland from 1790 to 1792. So today, Brother George Douglas, we remember you. We wish you a happy birthday. Well, thank you to our friends over at masonrytoday.com again for those great articles. Definitely check them out at their website and on social media so you can keep up with them and those uh, posts they put out on a daily basis. It's really a great way to find some well-researched Masonic history. Now, I don't know about you guys. My Masonic calendar, though, has been pretty busy lately. I've enjoyed every minute of, though, of course. Uh, between my own lodge having activities going on, I've had the opportunity to do some traveling and visit some other lodges around the area. Had some great experiences there and met some new brothers that way. Uh, Grand Lodge of Kansas, of course, just had their uh, annual communications here recently, which they do a superb job of putting those festivities on each year. I always look forward to attending that. Uh, while there, of course, I got to see the installation of our new Grandmaster of Kansas, Most Worshipful Brother uh, Cole Presley, who's a great guy. Really looking forward to seeing the, uh, the direction of the craft within Kansas under his leadership and guidance this year. Uh, it was also really cool while I was there. I had a couple brothers just out of random come grab me and pull me aside. Just wanted to say hi because they noticed me from the show, recognized my face. So it's uh, still kind of awkward in that position, but uh, I definitely enjoy it. If you, if you see me at a lodge event or something, definitely uh, come grab me and say hello. I'd like to share a few words with you. I always enjoy meeting you guys. Um, now, at the end of this month, I'll be traveling out to Attleboro, Massachusetts, to Ezekiel Bates Lodge for MasonicCon 2017. I have the uh, opportunity this year to make that travel, and I do believe that is going to be the farthest I have traveled for a Masonic event thus far. Um, so really looking forward to that. And again, if you guys uh, see me while I'm out there, definitely grab me, pull me aside, and uh, have a few words. I'd like to meet you guys. Now, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the meat and potatoes of tonight's show and uh, get into the interview. So I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back. I just want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer off top. As you may hear, my voice has uh, been a little in and out few days so that's something that's kind of plaguing me. bothers you too much. We do uh, accept donations to try to relocate me to a warm southern to stop that from happening. Um, with that said, though, I do want to uh, say that we are very pleased to have Brother Robert Marshall on the show today. Um, he's going to be sharing some history on, well, not only history, but information on digitizing your lodge's records and recovering history of your lodge in general. Um, with that said, Brother Robert Marshall, uh, if you wouldn't mind, will you give us a little bit about your background and introduce yourself a little farther? Sure. Uh, first off, uh, I do know a warm southern state where you're welcome to relocate, but uh, having said that, uh, my name is Robert Marshall. I'm from Waco Lodge number 92 in Waco, Texas. 
I became a Mason when I was 18 years old, shortly after our minimum age was lowered from 21 to 18. And um, I first learned about the Masons when I was a kid, uh, listening to stories from my great-grandfather, and uh, he's a fairly active Mason here locally. And uh, the Scottish Rite Hospital also uh, worked wonders for my older brother when he broke his hip uh, at 13. So then those were my uh, initial exposures to Freemasonry. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny, people ask, why did you become a Mason? I became a Mason because I wanted to get closer to my great-grandfather after he had passed away. Uh, but it really, it, it became so much more than that. And uh, so I, I, I try to ask people, uh, why did you become a Mason? And why are you glad that you're a Mason? Because Indeed. oftentimes... <laughs> The, the reasons change or grow. Um, but uh, having said that, I, uh, aside from masonry, I, I went to Baylor University here in Waco and studied history. Uh, so uh, naturally began applying the skills I learned there to my Masonic Lodge and other lodges in the area. And uh, I guess that's how I'm here. Wonderful. Well, you mentioned uh, joining Masonry in part to get a closer connection to your grandfather. Um, what all family history do you have in Freemasonry? Does it expand beyond that? Um, it does. I, I've done a lot of my family history. I've, I found a couple of early links back in the late 1700s here in uh, colonial America. Uh, but really not as much as I would have expected. Uh, I do know that uh, I'm not the only past master in my family line. My great-grandfather's brother was a past master of a lodge in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, so that was an exciting thing to come across. Okay, wonderful. Well, getting into the topic today, I want to say I came across you, obviously, on the uh, Historical Light Masonic Research Group, and we'll plug that a little bit farther later. But the wonderful thing I liked when I got connected with you and started looking into the work you've done is the immaculate work and the history presented on your lodge's website. Now, before we get too deep into that, would you like to uh, kind of touch on the history of your lodge in general? Oh, sure. Uh, so Waco 92 uh, began operating under dispensation in February of 1851. Uh, at the time, Texas uh, was a new state in the United States and uh, really wasn't that far removed from having been a country. And a couple of our charter members were veterans of San Jacinto and the Texas Revolution, and a lot of those uh, legendary battles and stories that Texans love to tell so much. Um, let's see, our, our original name was Bosque Lodge, number 92, Bosque uh, Forest in uh, Spanish, and that tells you everything you need to know about what the the city looked like at the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we changed our name five years uh, later. Joseph Spate uh, arrived. Joseph Spate is probably the most uh, influential member in the early history of our lodge. Uh, he was a past grandmaster of Mississippi at, at the age of 25. And uh, 
came to Texas when his year as Grandmaster of Mississippi concluded. Uh, he ultimately served as Master of Waco 92 16 different years. Uh, and wow. yeah, and uh, through his leadership, Waco 92 arguably became the, the leading lodge in the, in the entire state of Texas uh, and stayed that way well into the 1930s and 40s. Uh, in the 19-teens, uh, our lodge experienced it, its largest short-term growth when uh, Camp MacArthur was located in Waco. It was a World War One base, and in 1919 alone, we had a thousand new members. Uh, it's hard to imagine, but Monday through Saturday, the lodge was open, uh, something like uh, 10, I want to say 50 or 60 hours, just constantly running degrees. Uh, we've had several fairly famous members in the history of our lodge, uh, probably the one that the most people uh, will have been impacted by would be Charles Alderton, our past master in 1912. Uh, he was the pharmacist who created Dr. Pepper. Uh, so that's one we're pretty proud of. Uh, there were also three governors of Texas, Pat Neff, Sol Ross, and Richard Koch, uh, eight Civil War generals, lots of different veterans. Uh, D.R. Wallace, he was uh, the father of modern psychiatry in Texas. Uh, honestly, uh, one of our members, our junior warden, his name is Dave McCam. Uh, he's also my best friend. Uh, Freemasonry has a way of doing that, bringing best <laughs> friends to you. <laughs> uh, he uh, likes to say that Waco 92, or, or he refers to the, the uh, six degrees of Waco 92, because the more I've done research on our lodge and on the history of our lodge, the more it seems like if you think of any major event in American history in the last 150 years, uh, it only takes a couple of connections to get a Waco 92 member to it. Uh, and I'd like to say I think that's singular to Waco 92, uh, but I really don't think it is. I, I think if, if a lodge has been around for 100 years uh, or 200 years, if you just do the research, you're going to find connections to far more than you can imagine. Uh, and uh, I encourage everyone to do it. I would definitely agree. Uh, just delving in a little bit to my lodge's history, it's it's really amazing some of the stuff that you find, which just digging slightly below the uh, the, the surface there. So, you know, to really put some time and uh, effort into that, I guarantee you'll be extremely uh, surprised at the information you'll find. Now, I came uh, I came across you because on the research group I had posted at one time um, about what lodges are doing to digitize their history. Um, as we know, it's it's extremely important to do so. In today's day and age, I'm very surprised to see the quality of some of our minute books and history ledgers and stuff that do remain. But those books are not going to last forever. Um, even you know, some of them are 150 and even years older, um, and they're in immaculate shape for that age. But over time, they will start to disintegrate and uh, turn to nothing. And while it's in our possession, I believe it's really uh, it's our responsibility to make sure that that history is going to maintain for years to come down the road. And the best way to do that 
is by digital means uh, with the technology in today's day and age that is the best way that we can guarantee that information is going to last even beyond those paper physical pages um, when I asked the question about doing this your name was the one that came up that you had done so much work within your lodge um, I gotta say looking into it your website is definitely uh, where we at my lodge are hoping to get uh, you have done an amazing amount of work and it's it's like a library of a Masonic page so I definitely commend you on that um, how much uh, time have you put personally into the research of your lodge um, it varies uh, there have been weeks where I, I treated it like a full-time job and, and spent 30 to 40 hours on it within a week's time and then there have been weeks where I was I was busy at work didn't have any time to do it uh, but uh, if you go to our website and start running through that virtual library if you will uh, I want to say I have about 200 of the biographies I've compiled on there and uh, that has taken me well I, I started six or seven years ago uh, so uh, it's taken quite a bit of time uh, getting those biographies online have all been within the last two years uh, that first four or five years was uh, researching digging through libraries and online databases and, and getting those biographies put together right now what are uh, what would you say some of the best uh, best methods you have used to recover some of this personal information on these past brothers um, I, I was lucky uh, one thing I didn't mention about the history of our lodge was a past master named Roger Conger uh, he's known locally here as mr. Waco history but truly mr. Texas history would be fair uh, he started the Texas Historical Association and uh, led the Bicentennial Commission for the state of Texas in 1976. Uh, he compiled his own history of our lodge in 1952 for our centennial celebration. And in the back of that book is a complete list of everyone who had been a member of our lodge uh, from 1861 uh, to 1952. That first 10 years from 1851 to 1961 had been lost in fire. I managed to get quite a few of those put together. But uh, what I started doing was I went name by name through the back of that book and was searching uh, online databases uh, that most people use for genealogy. So uh, findagrave.com and uh, RootsWeb or Ancestry, those kind of things. That allowed me to identify those guys, get some more information like their birth date, death date, a little bit of stuff like that. Uh, and then I started using newspapers.com and uh, hitting the local libraries. And that's one I think gets overlooked by some Masonic lodges. Uh, of course, you have your younger lodges that this may not apply to, but if you're an older lodge, uh, odds are that any college or university in your area at some point had major ties to you. Uh, for example, for us, uh, Baylor University was actually brought to Waco uh, by some members of our lodge, and uh, uh, members of our lodge had ties to it even before it was in Waco. Uh, every president of Baylor was a Mason until the 1990s. So when I went to Baylor's library, I was able to just find a plethora of information about our early members 
because not because they were saving it for Masonic purposes, but because they were saving it for their own. Uh, and so the, the library there has been a big help. Um, I've got, when traveling, uh, for example, I was in New York and uh, there's a library there that has an incredible collection of menus, historic menus from all over the country. And uh, by chance, they have a 1901 menu uh, from a restaurant that was in Waco, and on the top of the menu, there's a picture of our lodge at the time, uh, and uh, it was a lodge which was fairly famous in the state of Texas. It was the first uh, three-story building in uh, Waco, and it was just this beautiful building, but we have very few pictures of it. Uh, when I started my research, we had one photo, and it was the photo of it burning down in 1908. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... One of my goals was to find more pictures of it. Now I'm up to about a dozen, and and, and that has been through the the avenues that I've just said, uh, libraries, online databases. Uh, that, that that's made up most of my research. Of course, uh, as you were referencing earlier, the minutes are invaluable. We do have our minutes back to 1861, uh, and uh, as a starting point, you you really can't beat that. Agreed. Agreed. Now to go back just a second to make sure I didn't miss mishear you there. The brother you had mentioned that uh, did all this uh, historical research on there. You said not only that did he have a list of past masters, but did you mention he had a list of every member? Yeah. So, well, that's what he he tried to do. It, it he attempted. So in the back of our book, there are the past masters with a picture and a, and a small bio. Uh, then there is a list of all of the current members in 1952. And then there's a list of all former members, guys who had passed away, transferred their membership, or what have you. Uh, I have found it to be somewhat incomplete uh, because, again, our records for the first 10 years burned. Uh, I've been able to put together some of that through uh, old newspapers and things like that. Uh, but he had a fairly complete list, and he, he included the whole thing in the back of that book. That's amazing. Uh, I know we all strive to have that, at least have a current list of our members, but delving into the history, um, it, it can be challenging at times just to uh, recover some of the past master names as well as every member that has been there. So that is a huge feat in itself and uh, uh, kind of a gold mine to have in, uh, have in your possession. Absolutely. And, and anybody in Waco or Central Texas area, Mason or non-Mason, when... If they heard Roger Conger did that for us, they wouldn't be surprised. He, he was fairly famous in the area. He started also, that are fairly well known, uh, even by out-of-towners, at the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame and Museum and uh, some other mu major museums in, in the area. Wonderful. Well, I, I think a, a huge key aspect to that is seeing that a brother from a past generation did all this, and now it's kind of been passed on to you. and. And that fact, you know, we, we have a responsibility there to make sure that that role and that information gets passed on down to the next generation of the leadership of the lodge. Um, I, I know there's there's so many lodges out there that have all this information tucked away in file cabinets, and maybe one of the older past masters knows about it, maybe he doesn't. I know in my particular lodge, there's uh, there's been information that, you know, I, I'm trying to bring up and people have no idea about. And then one day, one of the older guys, oh, yeah, I remember that. 
it's a very valuable story, and that information needs to be passed down the line because it, it will just, you know, no matter how much you've researched, it can still be lost if you don't preserve that information and share it. Absolutely, uh, and that brings up a, a major point. Something I've been working on more recently is those older guys know things, uh, and they know things that they don't even realize they know. Exactly. And, and so I highly recommend sitting down and interviewing them and taping it. We have to get taped interviews of our older members uh, because they're connections to the guys who were older members when they came in. And so in just one interview, you can be covering stuff from an entire century of fraternity. And uh, that's invaluable. Indeed. And that's another uh, another point I wanted to touch on with you. Um, looking into the history, usually a lot of the things you're able to get is strictly from the minutes. Um, as we know, the minutes are not that uh, conversational. It's very cut and dry. This is what happened. This who is uh, who was there. Um, but you don't get a lot of the personality and everything behind or the brethren themselves. Um, as you mentioned, sitting down and actually video recording these brothers, um, how do you feel about getting a deeper history as we go on into our, you know, our current history, providing for the future, um, getting information is, you know, from the backgrounds of our lives and who these people are and what we do and who we are as a, as a person? Yeah. Uh, that you, you get your basic information from... Uh, your your minutes and you might find some newspapers and elsewhere, but yeah, adding the personality into it uh, is, is crucial uh, because uh, I'd like you'd like to think that at least the members of your lodge are going to be interested in what you're doing. They're going to be interested in learning the history of the lodge, even if it is just dry factual information. But what we need now more than ever in masonry is for the general public. To take an interest in what we've been doing and and what we are going to keep doing. Uh, one of the best ways to do that is to share the stories of how we literally built the communities where these people are living. And most people don't know that and uh, adding personality to those stories will give those folks who aren't personally attached to your Masonic Lodge a reason to pay attention. Exactly. I, I totally agree with you there. Now, through your guys' research and your com uh, compiling of information, what would you say is the uh, biggest digital format you have used to uh, save and restore this information you've recovered? Hmm. My biggest format? Yeah, like how, how do you uh, that information? Do you guys use external hard drives or um, just personal computers, or how do you uh, keep track of all that? Gotcha. Uh I, I try to get anything even marginally interesting that I come across saved uh, in at least two or three ways. And so uh, I've got jump drives for different categories of information. Uh, I have two different computers that I'll have information saved on. Uh, but then also uh, we've got the cloud. So Google, uh, Google Docs and uh, uh, Dropbox. Uh, I've got information saved in a couple of those different spots too, and, and that way it's accessible everywhere. And if something happens to the jump drives or computers, it's it's still retrievable. Agreed. Yeah, one of one of the big uh, the risk factors right now is you know most lodges just have their minute books within a safe or a file cabinet or even a closet within their lodge building. Um, even if you digitize that information on a lodge computer. 
you're still at the same risk. If that lodge building is to burn down, you know, knock on wood, or for some reason our lodges are plagued with fires and other natural disasters that have destroyed a ton of information. But that digital format is going to be just as susceptible to uh, to any kind of destruction as the regular book it is itself. So I think it's it's a great responsibility to get that elsewhere, you know, save it on jump drive, give it to a couple principal officers, send a copy to your Grand Lodge, make sure that information is in several locations, and the cloud is a wonderful source for that. It's accessible from anywhere, um, you know, places like Google and stuff, they back up their systems like you wouldn't believe. So it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to save it there, but definitely make sure you're not just keeping that in your lodge. Uh, you're not mm -hmm. doing yourself much of a favor in that manner. That's, that's actually exactly why I started digitizing it. I uh, was doing some research through our minutes at the lodge and in our office uh, where we have our archives and everything directly across from where I was standing is the big giant photo of our lodge burning down in 1907. And so... <laughs> now put it uh, into perspective for you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I knew, uh, thanks to Conger's previous research, that our first 10 years of minutes were destroyed in the fire. Uh, and so if we don't get this stuff digitized, who knows what will happen to it. Now, having said that, uh, destruction is one way we can lose it, but time will uh, cost us our minutes as well. Uh, our 1865 minutes are fairly legible now. The ink has almost disappeared. Uh, so, so time, you, be, you might have a blank book in 50 years that used to be filled with writing. Right. Now, trying to preserve that information, um, what, do you, what methods do you use? Do you just uh, type it down or do you take pictures of it? How do you uh, preserve the information in the books as they are steadily... Uh, going away. Uh, I've quite a bit of the minutes that I've preserved. I, I used my smartphone taking pictures, uh, but uh, I got a, uh, I can't think of the name of the thing now, but it, it's a really uh, neat mobile handheld scanner that okay. very quickly gets a high quality uh, image. I don't want to scan, quick scan or something like that. Right on. Yeah, something uh, we personally started doing, and yeah, I don't know if it's the best method, but just seemed quick and easy for us. Um, when we jumped in at our lodge to start this process, you know, obviously the first thing is you can't take the, or you don't want to take these books apart to scan the pages, obviously. So a mobile scanner, like you're mentioning, is, is a great tool. Um, what I did is I have Google Drive on my phone. It's a very, uh, very well-built app. And uh, within that, you can build your, your folders and everything. And they have a, a mode in there where you can take a picture and it basically scans it. It makes it look like a scanned image. It highlights the lower ink levels and everything. and comes out very well. Um, but with that, with Google Drive, I'm able to link several other members of the lodge that are also in this history committee with me. So we're all able to see that in real time. As soon as I upload something, they see it on their end as well. And we can keep up to date with each other as we're uh, recovering past master photos or just, you know, bits of information about the lodge and whatnot. So, yeah, it, uh, sources like that are, are definitely invaluable. Now, what, what was the biggest manner you would say that you are sharing this information? Uh, is your website probably the main source for that? Absolutely. Uh, originally, the only way I was sharing any of the information I was coming across was, uh, well, there were two ways. Uh, while I was a student at Baylor, I 
took every chance I could get as a history major to uh, work uh, my Masonic research into the essays and projects and assignments I had in school. But uh, most of my local lodge research, the only way I was sharing it was at lodge, uh, a, a little history minute at the state meetings, which I highly encourage, but uh, that serves one of the major two purposes in doing the lodge's history research. That gets it to your members, but you got to get it to the public. And right. uh, by far, uh, as you you said, is, is uh, I've shared it through our website. Now, having said that, um, I got all, the, or not all, but I've gotten a lot of the information onto our website. Once I had it on there, I started using it to connect with area museums and uh, historical societies, giving them a reason to come to the website and giving them reason to pay attention when the lodge was having events. And uh, so, and this past year, our Grand Lodge started a new thing that it's continuing this year of uh, requiring on one day at the same time for every Blue Lodge, which is about 700 in the state of Texas now, every, every Blue Lodge uh, has to have an open house uh, at the same time, same day. So. Uh, the idea of the open house is to show the general public what masonry is, what we do, what we have done, and what we, we plan on doing, and uh, familiarizing the, the general population with Freemasonry. It's a great idea. Uh, thankfully, I started our uh, loading onto our website all this information. I had already gotten a lot of autobiographies and what have you loaded to our website. And so I was able to reach out to the Texas Ranger Museum and other museums in the area and give them a reason to come to our open house. As a result, out of the 700 lodges that held the open house last year, our lodge had one of the most successful events because we had three area museums set up tables at our lodge and uh, give a, a greater variety of information about our early members to the folks that were showing up. So it started online and is actually now working its way into uh, other avenues. That's great. Um, you know, I, I would say that a large uh, community of the people that are probably interested in this history, not only of a Masonic nature, but of, you know, a, a local nature. Um, there's a lot of people that aren't online. Some of the older older folks mm. in town and stuff, they, they don't utilize the Internet, but they're still very intrigued in that information. So having something of that caliber is a great source as well, and I, I commend you guys on that. I like the idea of a, uh, a joint open house statewide. That's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I think it would be a, a, a big benefit for Kansas. I kind of hope we bring that here one day. I could see that really opening the eyes to the community um, as it would probably be large-scale promoted and everybody would know mm -hmm. about it a little more. So great source there. Now, with the website, though, how important do you think it is for every lodge to have a website today? You know, folks watching this are probably going to think that I'm showing my millennial bias. Um, <laughs> but, uh, let me preface it by saying I personally actually quite old-fashioned in that uh, prior to my businesses and, and helping try to grow the relevancy of Freemasonry, I really wasn't very keen on social media and, and the internet or video games or any of the kind of stuff my generation is usually into, but uh, 
the fact is, in 2017, if you're not online, you're not anywhere. You don't exist. Uh, so, uh, right now in Texas, like I said, we have about 700 lodges. I want to say I've come across 20 to 25 lodges with good uh, current uh, websites. And that's just not good enough. And I don't want to pick on Texas lodges. Uh, I've been to lodge in 49 states and six countries. It's a problem everywhere. Uh, it is. Have to catch up. And uh, the, the the thing is, today's time, uh, even older generations now are getting to the point where if they want to find something, they Google it. And if somebody Googles Masonic Lodge near me, your lodge should pop up. And the best way to do that is having a website that is um, not only looks good, but stays current and regularly adds content. Uh, that will increase the likelihood that it'll pop up on Google. And so uh, I think it's the, it's the single most important thing uh, facing Freemasonry right now. We have to uh, modernize. We have to get online, get your lodge on a website. Agreed. Agreed. And and not only, uh, I mean, a website has so many different levels to it. Um, it can act as, like you said, kind of a calling card for everybody to find your local lodge. Um, it can act as a museum, as, as your guys' uh, site has served to do, um, as you're able to put your history in there. And that's another wonderful source of preserving that history, is it's a cloud-based, you know, operation there so you can have your your history on there preserved and displayed to the community um, to share that with them and keep it going for a long time so I would totally agree that a website is a, a huge necessity in today's day and age um, same with social media uh, they tie in very well together and with that I will I will plug a historical lights Masonic research group we have on Facebook um, I know that's where I came across you and I want to invite everybody that is a great source. It's it's tied in with this show, but it is meant for all of you out there to be able to have a word and have a conversation within the show's realm. So please bring your history, um, bring your research, and share it with all. That's a great source. Link back to your website so people can see everything you've done. Um, but use not only um, our research group, but other platforms like that to really share with your brethren worldwide. Because it's not only important to brothers in your local lodge, but there's brothers on the other side of the country that maybe have, have never heard that information or may just be mm -hmm. totally uh, thrown off or, you know, just really uh, love to hear it. So make sure you share that. It's it's a great way to get things out. Absolutely. Uh, one that I like to share whenever I'm traveling uh, is that the Lone Star flag, the state of Texas flag. Uh, a lot of Texas Masons don't know this, uh, but far more non-Texas Masons don't know this, and that Lone Star uh, was chosen by Masons uh, to represent the five points of fellowship. Uh, mm. Texas nickname is the Friendship State, and, uh, and that was a very intentional placement on our flag related to Masonry. Uh, so uh, that's a fun thing to share with folks as I'm traveling, and uh, you never know what you're going to learn. Uh, when you're looking at or hearing about or talking to a brother from halfway across the country. Totally agree. That is a, 
that is a bit of information I didn't know. So that's that's awesome to learn. But there's there's so many stories out there like that, and that's that's why it's really important to delve into your lodge's history and just don't let it rot away in the file cabinet, the back back corner of your lodge. Get it out, preserve it, share it, oh. and honor it. And you know that is that is the three pillars of of our show here. As Masonry has three pillars, so does the show Historical Light to share, preserve, and honor. Uh, it's it's a huge necessity within uh, maintaining and preserving our history. So, brother, Boy. thank you for everything you do in that fact. Um, while we're getting towards wrapping up here, um, is there anything else that you would like to share before we go? I tell you, you mentioned don't let it rot away on the back shelf at the lodge. Um, here about a year ago, I was digging through our archive room uh, that was mostly untouched for the last 30, 40 years. And I found a letter from J. Edgar Hoover signed to our lodge. I found uh, a telegram from Richard Nixon. Uh, I found a letter from Cecil B. DeMille, the movie director, uh, all to our lodge. Um, and that just scratches the surface. Uh, we found some Masonic pottery from the 1790s when Washington was still master of his lodge. Uh, it, it, it's been incredible. And that stuff was just sitting back there collecting dust. Um, we didn't even know it was there. And, and I'm confident that there are lodges all across the country with similar things uh, hidden away in a closet somewhere and they have no idea. Uh, I guarantee it. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I'd like to share is uh, that if, if if a brother out there starts this project of looking up his lodge history and digitizing it, uh, both of those steps are equally important, uh, keep doing it, uh, even on one particular subject, because uh, I did biographical information on our past master, Roger Conger, five or six years ago. Uh, and over the last five years, I've grown it and grown it and grown it. And uh, five, six years into research on one of our members, uh, I was digitizing it, loading it up to our website and searching for uh, images to attach to the article whenever I posted it. And came across a picture of him with President Gerald Ford in Waco in 1976. Uh, I didn't even know that he had ever had an event with Gerald Ford. Uh, so that's after six years of research on the guy. So uh, keep researching uh, and then keep re-researching. Update the information yes. you have because new stuff comes up all the time. Uh, it's, those are the two main things I, I definitely want to drive. That's, that's amazing. I'm, I'm sure you were you were astounded when you uh, got to that shelf and found that information, but brothers, I guarantee you, you will find something in your lodge. Don't just take people's word for what's over in that corner, or, you know. Just think it's a pile of papers. Take a Saturday morning or an evening after work and go look. Just pick up that book and look through it. If you haven't had it, go up there and see what's up there. Um, you know, at, at my lodge, we have an attic space and we didn't think there was anything up there. Uh, we had a roof leak that was been plaguing us for a while now. A brother went up there to uh, do some work on it and found some really old degree work tapestries that were kind of covered in the uh, blown-in insulation and stuff from however many years ago, falling apart, just, but amazing to look at. Um, the old uh, globes were up there, just some stuff that 
was awesome to see from generations past that really gave a presence to what the lodge was, the material they uh, used and the importance they had in it. So please, yeah, take advice, go to lodge, look through that stuff. Don't leave that shelf untouched. Find out what's there. And when you find out, share it with your brothers. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Brother Marshall, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, what you have done with your lodge's history and just history of the craft in general uh, has been an amazing asset to us all. We deeply appreciate it. So thank you for coming on and sharing that. And I, I hope everyone takes heed to this and really starts to recover their lodge's history, preserve it, and share it with their brethren and uh, brethren worldwide alike. So thank you for everything you do, and thank you for coming on the show. It's sincerely appreciated. You bet. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you soon, brother. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed tonight's episode and interview. Definitely want to take the opportunity to thank once more Brother Robert Marshall for coming on the show and uh, sharing some really great information with us. We're going to, as always, continue the conversation over at our research group on Facebook. That is the Historical Light Masonic Research Group on Facebook. So if you're not a member there, take a chance, go over and uh, search us up and click join so you can get in on the great conversations there. Now, there's a uh, extension of this show, so we try to keep all the topics and everything um, limited to Masonic research and history. Um, but click join and become a member of our growing community over there and uh, get in on the conversations as well. Now, within that, we've had a Facebook challenge going on um, where basically we have asked all uh, Freemasons and affiliates, so Eastern Star, uh, youth affiliate groups and everyone, to uh, record a short video of yourself answering the question, why did you join? Why did you become a Freemason, an Eastern Star, Job's Daughters, Demolay, what have you? We want to know why, and we want to get that conversation started. Uh, we've had several weeks now where we've uh, included posts or video submissions of uh, uh, brothers uh, answering that very question and we still have a few more but we want to keep that going we'd like to hear from the rest of you as well so like I said Eastern Star uh, youth affiliate groups send us in some videos we'd like to hear your reply to that answer but let's take a chance now to jump over and hear one more of our brothers answer why he became a Freemason so why did I become a master Mason first I was trying to follow in my grandfather's footsteps he was a Freemason no one else in the family had joined. So then, did some research, found it was something that intrigued me. So I went in and contacted the lodge, and then I found the brothers, and they truly are your brothers. And then you find the journey, which is personal, but there's so much to learn. And as long as you are willing to study and pay attention, it really will help you better yourself as a man, make you do right as a family man. And for that, I love Freemasonry. All right, well, thank you so much, Brother Hiddle, for sending in your video submission of why you became a Freemason. And uh, definitely extend that um, challenge out to the rest of you still to keep that going. Send us in your video and answer the question, why did you join? We really want to know. We want to keep that conversation going and uh, possibly spark for some people that are on the fence or just looking into it and wondering, quite, you know, why should I join? Well, give them some reasons. So let's extend that, keep that going, and I will see you all next time as we continue our quest for historical light. Have a great day.